DHK Radio 3 with five colours in her hair. Time is now uh, eight minutes past two o'clock and you're listening to the 123 show with me, Noreen Mir, on this Friday afternoon. And since it's Friday, it's time for the Agenda Cafe right after this. You're listening to the 123 show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Friday afternoon. And since it's Friday, you know it. It's time for the Agenda Cafe. And I'd like to welcome back on the program uh, our wonderful co host, Karen Ko. Karen, it's great to see you. Kung Hei Fat Choi. Yes, Noreen Kung Hei Fat Choi. We had, didn't have a show last week because it was Chinese New Year. So this is my chance to wish you and all our listeners happy Chinese New Year. That's right. And we are live on Facebook as well. Uh, you can see uh, Karen and our wonderful guest, which Karen will introduce in just a wee bit, uh, on Facebook, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. So people can see and hear us. Right, Karen, what have you got on today then? Okay, so, well, today, let's go really heavy. Why not for the first show after Chinese Year? So today we're going to talk about uh, managing our emotions. I was just thinking that, you know, the past year has, has been an emotional roller coaster for most people. You know, it's really taken a toll on our emotional health because we've been dealing with the effects of the pandemic, endless news about people being sick or dying, uh, fear about getting sick or someone you love getting sick, feeling helpless about not being able to be there for people, for loved ones, say, for example, if they're overseas or even if they're in hospital and you, you're not allowed to go in to, to help them or visit them. And things like loneliness caused by quarantines, as I know very well, <laughs> and, uh, and isolation. And then, you know, you're worried about concern over your children's education or that disruption. You know, the list just goes on and on and on. And so while emotions are natural, normal, spontaneous, it's really our reaction to them that shapes how we feel and then how we frame what's happening to us. So the question is really, how do we manage our emotions in a healthy way so that we don't end up at one extreme, just feeling anxious or depressed, and then maybe making bad decisions based on those feelings. So that's what we're gonna to explore today. And I'm thrilled to have Valentina Tudos join us. Valentina is a transformational relationship coach. She's joining us on Zoom now, uh, like everybody else does these days. And Valentina's actually been doing some videos recently on exactly this topic. So Valentina, welcome to the program. Welcome, Valentina. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Karen, Noreen. Lovely to see you again. Yeah, it's always great to have you on. So I hope you don't mind if I do a little Neuroscience 101 on emotions. Um, so, because there's a little bit of confusion about this. So according to neuroscience, there, there really are six basic emotions and, and they live in your body. They're governed by the amygdala, which is, you know, the lizard brain that we all have. Um, and they sort of, you recognize you have emotions because often they're physical sensations. And they usually are the first thing that happens to us when, when we react to something. So for example, a racing heartbeat, sweating, that feeling of butterflies in the stomach. And, and the six main emotions that neuroscientists have identified are joy, anger, fear, surprise, sadness, and disgust. So if we, if we take those as like the six main emotions, 
So what are feelings then? Well, feelings are really how we interpret our emotions and feelings are unlimited. So things like um, pride or confidence or jealousy, these are all feelings and they're governed by our prefrontal cortex. So we have a choice about how do we want to feel in how we react to a particular emotion. And quite often our brain can choose the wrong feeling to go with the emotion. Um, and then those feelings may feed back into your emotions. So you end up in this cycle of, you know, kind of a reinforcement, um, maybe a negative reinforcement. So for, to give you an example, jumping out of a plane, you're going to feel certain things. You know, you probably your heart will race. Um, you'll feel um, surprise. Um, but you could interpret that as excitement on one hand, or you could end up feeling terror. And the two are very, very different things, but they stem from the same experience. So, so what we're really trying to decipher here is, you know, we have these core emotions that all of us will go through. It's just our lizard brain reacting, but really how do we react to them uh, in, in the way that we process them as feelings? So, so Valentina, let me ask you first, you know, what are your thoughts on how we often register our emotions and frame them, you know, and they end up coming out as feelings? I think the way we do it is through what we've been told we're supposed to be feeling. Because ultimately the difference between emotion and feelings that you've just so eloquently described is actually the labeling. The same physical um, experience that we have, let's say a rumbling tummy or a raised heartbeat, can be at the same time interpreted as excitement, um, this, uh, you know, feel that feeling of adventure that I'm doing something really amazing or terror. So it's really just the, no the name that we give that particular physical uh, experience. So we only know that that is the right name because we've been told that that's what anger looks like. This is what sadness looks like. Otherwise we wouldn't know, right? So I feel that ultimately it's our view of the world, our perspective, our filter, so to speak, that really determines how we interpret emotions. Mm. And that obviously could also be informed by our upbringing, right? So if, if your parents told you, you need to be afraid of this particular situation, or you need to be afraid of this thing happening to you, then you probably will, not because you've ever experienced it, but just because they've told you this is something to be afraid of. Yeah, because, you know, to continue the neuroscience conversation a little bit longer, the way uh, we make any uh, sense of the world, the world around us is really by referring to our very first experience or something. So our brain creates like a little reference point catalog where if your parent, um, I don't know, takes you to the dentist for the first time and you've never been and you don't know what to expect, but your mother says, oh, don't worry, it's not going to hurt. Even though it's supposed to be reassuring, it makes your mind think, oh, hang on a minute. I didn't know it could hurt. Oh, but maybe now, now that I know that it could hurt, maybe I'm expecting that. And because we create our reality, that um, what was supposed to be a reassuring message becomes a frightening message. Right. So then we, the negative. Yeah. So then we're carrying those through possibly from our childhood through to our adult life and maybe projecting those kinds of feelings onto our children as well. Absolutely, because we learn all of these labels from our parents and from, you know, by telling us don't touch the fire, you learn that, of course, the fire is dangerous and you wouldn't do it again. So the reference point is pain. 
but the fact that there's your mother's voice in the background constantly saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, it actually transfers their fear onto you. Right, which doesn't really have any rational um, source. So one thing that's interesting is that, you know, very often we don't really talk about our emotions. We just feel them and we react. Um, What are the first sort of steps to, I guess you would call it emotional self-awareness of actually being able to step outside yourself and say, right now, I'm having these feelings about X and, and I need to actually be aware of it. Well, I, the way I look at it from a, like more like an, emo, um, not an emotional, but let's say a spiritual perspective, emotions are a guidance system. Um, they, we feel them in our body because they have a purpose, a, a biological purpose, so to speak, right? So fear is keeping us safe. Because if we didn't know that uh, stepping off a cliff would kill us, um, you know, we don't necessarily need to have that experience personally because it wouldn't be a, a repeat <laughs> experience, right? So we are born with certain knowledge that certain things will actually be fatal for us. So it is like a guiding system, like a warning system. So when we feel that heart increased heartbeat or trepidation or where we feel anxiety sometimes feels like stomach churning or something like that, is literally our mind, our subconscious mind, giving us a signal that there's something we should be paying attention to. But as you said, depends on our view of the world, of our interpretation to decide, am I taking this as joy? is uh, something exciting and fun and I'm gonna go straight into it or is this a signal that I have to protect myself? But because we've been taught, again, part of our upbringing that some emotions are good and positive and we should embrace them and express them. So we all wanna say, I love you. We wanna say, I'm happy. We wanna communicate that. Sometimes even though we feel sad, actually the emotion in our body is the whole you know, depleting, like lack of energy. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do anything, but we'll stay in bed and watch Netflix. Sometimes we think that other people will judge us for that. I so, think so we've been taught that some emotions are not safe to explore, to, explore, to ex- uh, express. So instead, even though we're sad, we put a little smile on our face because we know that's what happiness looks like. Right. But for me, if you think about it, uh, if you feel something in the body that is, made, is meant to guide you, is meant to warn you of something, it's a little bit like driving on a highway at super high speed. And then this red flag comes in saying, hey, safety alert, you need to, you need to pay attention uh, to something. But you ignore this. Like, no, I don't want to feel afraid. I don't want to feel this fear. Fear is bad. Fear is stopping me from having great experiences. But then the highway that you're on is an elevated highway and it ends one kilometer down the road. So you actually end up in more trouble and obviously you're unsafe. So I see emotions as um, moments in which we need to pay attention to our life. And all of them has a purpose. So the first thing that we need to do, to answer your question in a long-winded way, uh, is to acknowledge that emotion is happening. To acknowledge the red flag, to kind of go, whoa, okay, maybe maybe it's time to slow down a little bit. And the first thing to say is to actually say, oh, I'm feeling really angry right now about this. Because when we express it through our conscious mind and when we make words around it, our subconscious mind knows that we're listening, mm-hmm. that we get it, that we're not judging it, that we're just letting it out. And with anger in particular, right, anger is a, is a very... Um, 
energetic emotion, right? We all know that anger pushes you into action. Because you say, now you really made me angry. Now I'm going to do something, right? I'm going to leave you or I'm going to ask for a divorce or I'm going to smash the plates <laughs> or smack the door or something like that, right? And I always think of anger, for example, as a, as a bit of a secondary emotion. There's something deeper underneath anger because anger um, is designed to generate a reaction. So I'm going to do something because I want you to do something back to me, which could be pay attention to me, acknowledge me, um, give me validation, love me, see me, understand me, all of these things, right? When we are, especially obviously being in the relationship space, I, I look at all these emotions because this is what clients carry with them when they come to me and they say, oh, my husband makes me so angry. Like, okay, well, let's let's talk about, okay, the anger is there so that he does something because maybe he's disconnected, maybe he's ignoring you. But how do you feel underneath? And often it's like, well, I'm sad underneath. And I'm sad first because I feel rejected. I feel unimportant. I feel that I don't matter. And then because I feel that I don't matter, and but I want to matter, I'm now going to be angry and I'm going to shout and I'm going to nag and I'm going to do things. Mm -hmm. So there's multi-layered, um, there's a multi-layered approach to how to deal with emotions. You dig, right. okay, you feel angry. And then what, what makes me angry? Well, actually, I also feel sad. Yeah, Valentina, mm -hmm. you made a really good point just now about how, you know, anger is sometimes a secondary emotion and that if you really scratch the surface of that, you get deeper and deeper. Part of the issue is, people just don't have that vocabulary for their feelings and, and for their emotions. Um, and, and we are live right now on Facebook, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3. I've downloaded um, a, a, a feelings chart, um, which our listeners will be able to see right now. But uh, Valentina and Karen can't see it, so I'll just hold it up for you guys here. It's quite complicated. And, you know, Very. within the sort of your happy, your your fear, your anger, there are sort of these secondary, uh, sorry, these... The, these multifaceted emotions, how can we better train ourselves so that we have a larger vocabulary to identify and to acknowledge and not to mis, uh, um, misidentify the, the, the feelings uh, that perhaps can be triggered in our everyday lives? That's the hard thing to be able to identify. Right, I'm feeling, I don't know, um, disgusted rather than actually angry or I'm feeling threatened uh, rather than scared or feared. Um, how can we do that? Valentina? Well, as you, as you clearly see from that, uh, from that chart, there are nuances, right? They're like aspects of the six primary emotions uh, that are just these words, these labels that we use, you know? So what's the difference between angry, frustrated, irritated, uh, annoyed, miffed? I don't know, some other words, right? I don't know what they are. So some of them are degrees of intensity, right? So if I say I'm really pissed off or I'm furious or I'm, uh, what is the, the worst anger you can have? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, think, I think numb and withdrawn or distant um, and, and jealous, uh, hostile, provoked, those are, I mean, distant and, and withdrawn seems a bit, these are not everyday vocabularies. You know, you, you won't necessarily sort of say, I feel withdrawn from the situation. And that's really no, but that actually, but you feel it inside it. You don't, may, yeah. you may not have the vocabulary. And also, I, I feel that these are, 
actually coping mechanisms, in particular numbness and withdrawal. Because yeah, you hear you know, numbness a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So when we don't know how to cope with the situation, when uh, other people's rejection or anger or the guilt that we're feeling about something or the sadness is too much for us, we just shut down. Hmm. Right. We call it that we shut down. What does shutting down mean to me? I, I, I was just reflecting of this in the shower this morning, how the English language is so powerful to express all these different things. You know, we we talk about shutting down. So the visual that I have is literally like I'm closing the door on my energy. Like literally, I do not want to give my energy to other people. And by closing the door, I also do not allow other people to give me their energy because emotions are this energy in motion yeah right? and i think also to noreen's point sometimes we have the, the vocabulary but we're not willing to admit it so you, you think of that whole classic joke of you know when a woman says everything's fine that means everything is not fine <laughs> but because we don't want to spend time trying to explain or we just think the other person is not going to listen anyway you just say i'm fine everything's fine even though emotionally you're in turmoil and you're upset and you want to shout at them or you you feel a huge range of of feelings but we sort of it's you know socially acceptable just to to be it's more socially acceptable to be fine and then just leave it out there nothing gets resolved so so that of itself is is a bit of a problem i think yeah and the trouble is also you know we we often separate emotions with good and bad you know feeling angry as bad or you know um and and feeling excited happy as good but you know no emotion is good or bad you know you've got to go through them in your everyday life and if you take away the sort of negative labels of good and bad um then it'll make people sort of more honest and more open in admitting their feelings. I, I don't know, Valentina. Do you do? You, what, what do you tell your clients when they sort of say, "Oh, I shouldn't feel. I know. I, I know. I shouldn't feel angry, but you know, I can't help it." What do you? But this is the very reason why why we're struggling sometimes because that judgment literally means we don't acknowledge the emotion. Exactly. And by not acknowledging the emotion, we literally keep going on that highway that I mentioned, right? The, the emotion comes, the red flag is there. You need to address this thing. You need to acknowledge it. You need to say, okay, I'm angry. What about this situation makes me angry? The moment I actually express, I'm angry because my father doesn't acknowledge me. I'm angry because uh, my husband is not present. You know, like he, his mind is somewhere else. Yeah, in body he's present, but it doesn't mean anything. I'm angry that my kids are not going to bed. At least by acknowledging that and expressing that, I slow down. Because in that moment, I focus on that experience. And then I go, okay, what about this situation makes me angry? Well, it is because I believe that my kids should be in bed at eight. So anger is just a sign that our expectations do not match reality, Yeah. right? Mm. So then we have a choice. Then we can take a deliberate approach to this instead of judging it, because what you just said about good, bad, all that, no emotion is good or bad. An emotion just is, right? The energy is there in us. What do we make of it is this judgment. Is it good or bad? And you know, who decided that happiness should be good and sadness should be bad? Right. Yeah. It's, it's an arbitrary kind of fairy tale thing. 
Well, it's because our mind, our, our entire universe is designed on the principle of duality. This is how we create reality. I am me because I am not you. Yeah. But to I am be me fair, because I'm a girl. To be fair, no one really wants to be sad unless you are a tortured artist. You know, nobody really... So I, I understand the sentiment that, you know, we need to go, go through the sadness to... You know, you can't operate on that level. But I'm not saying sadness is a bad thing. It's necessary. But prolonged sadness and, you, you know, it's not necessarily so healthy for us but, yeah but i, I think it's also you know i feel like valentina's going to come in and correct me shaking and say <laughs> no you're wrong <laughs> but maybe there's, maybe there's you're not wrong too much binary where you know if you are sad the instinct of people is to say don't be sad you know that's ah, like the first don't be sad it's like why why can't i be sad you know i have reason to be sad and and so that kind of conditioning after a while, you feel like, well, I'm not going to tell anyone that I'm sad because they're just going to say, don't be sad. And that doesn't help me. Exactly. And then that is the reason we, we suppress emotions. Yeah. That is the reason why we, we paint a smile on our face when actually inside we're, we're dying. Um, because we want to be accepted. Because this is our biggest desire. Because if, if, we understand that don't be sad is rejection. Right. We you might know, need to continue with this just after the 2.30 news. Uh, we'll continue chatting with Valentina and also Karen on the Agenda Cafe. Uh, we'll break for the news on Facebook Live so you'll be able to hear it. And uh, you'll be, I'll just put the emotions chart for you so that you'll be able to see it. Welcome back. You're listening to the Agenda Cafe this Friday afternoon uh, with me, Karen Ko and Noreen Mir. Um, hope you're having a great Friday afternoon. And please also join us on Facebook Live. We are on Noreen's page, Noreen Mir at RTHK Radio 3. I always forget to say that, but I didn't today. So um, today we're talking about our emotions and managing our emotions. And we're joined by Valentina Tudos. And Valentina is a transformational relationship coach. And just before the break, we were we were talking about how, you know, we often suppress our emotions. And Valentina, you were saying it's because we don't want to be socially rejected, uh, which which really is when you think about it, the greatest fear everybody has is of being not socially accepted by other people. So we've we've gotten into some of these bad patterns, maybe of suppressing our emotions in order to avoid being rejected, <coughs> rejected by others. How do you break out of that pattern so you, so you can really, you know, be allowed to express those emotions and to say, you know, I feel sad or I feel bad and, and not worry about what other people are going to think? Well, that's a really good question because uh, we are so conditioned to um, depend on other people's acceptance, approval and validation that it is an effort, it is a conscious effort that we need to make most of the time. And that's because this fear of being rejected is uh, at many levels in today's world, an irrational fear. The lizard brain that you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation um, constantly worries about our survival. And if you take us all the way back to the plains of Africa, where our current brain functions were created, uh, being rejected, being excluded from the tribe meant death, right? Because a lone human in the jungle will not be surviving for very long since we are not very good individual animals, so to speak. We're not very strong. So safety in numbers and all that. So 
in the modern world, obviously, we don't face a lot of dangers of being killed on a regular basis. So we've actually created this acceptance uh, as being part of, um, a, you know, like a society or a group or a family unit as our safety space, safe space. The way to do it is really to engage uh, that smarter part of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, where our judgment lives to say, okay, well, if I say to people I am sad, they might tell me don't be sad, but what do they actually mean is they are being supportive. It doesn't mean that they will reject me. And uh, it really, maybe we all need to find, you know, when we talk about support structures, support groups, of course, in some situations, it's not um, very socially acceptable to express sadness. Like if you go for dinner with your girlfriends and one of them comes and cries the whole time because she just, I don't know, heard that her husband was cheating on her. It will make everybody a little bit sad because once again, it's an energy that we share with the others. So it's really uh, finding safe spaces. This is why therapy is so important. This is why having a shoulder to cry on that you trust that is not going to judge you is so important. But the other problem that we have is, again, socially, we are not educated to uh, be good listeners, to be supportive, to just say, yes, thank you for sharing this with me. So when you are receiving, I think it's more important for us to educate people on how to receive this energy. Like when someone says to you, I'm going through a difficult time, I'm having this situation in my life, instead of instinctively saying, oh, don't be sad, it's going to be, you're going to be fine. Don't worry, be strong. You know, this is what we normally hear, right? Oh, even, even if you lost someone, be strong, be strong, you'll be okay. Really? I know I'll be okay, but right now it's okay for me to be sad. I'm grieving, it's okay to be sad. If I lost a relationship or if someone cheated on me, it's okay to be angry with that person, right? But you know, we, we're, we need to educate ourselves first on how to receive this information and how to be supported by just saying, thank you for sharing. I'm here for you. Is there anything I can do? Where does that come from then, Valentina? Why do people tell each other to be strong when, you know, if they were going through the same thing, they'd, they'd want somebody to be empathetic. So why do people tell other people to be strong in times of crisis? Because I think in many ways, um, we've been told that there is a shame associated with being sad in front of others. And I know I, I, I have this, you know, I absolutely, one of my biggest fear is crying in public. Mm. I can talk in public, I can laugh in public, I can do whatever, but I cannot cry in front of other people because I don't want to be, I feel weak because to me, crying in front of other people is like feeling weak. Now, I know that I would get support from other people if I cried, if I showed my emotions, but there is this thing inside of me that says, no, that means weakness. So being conscious of it and continuously pushing yourself and recognizing like, okay, if I actually cry in front of another person, what does that mean to me? Yeah. Because we've been conditioned by the society. That's so interesting. As a professional crier, I mean, I think Karen can attest to this. I cry in many different situations and I have no problem in, in sort of, you know, I'm either from like, a, you know, a, a zero to 10 very quickly and I cry. But, you know, it, you feel much better after that. And that because you're, you're not using the energy to hold yourself together, you're using, you've released that energy and then you can use that energy to manage whatever hardship 
people are uh, you're, you're going through. So I, I can attest to crying. Yeah. But yeah, it takes time to build up to that. It took me many years to think, okay, I'm going to cry. And once I did, it was like a floodgate. I couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting also that you may behave differently depending on who you're with and, yes. and the level of trust, obviously, you have with that other person. And, and I think, ironically, very often with your the people you're close to, like your long-term partner, you know, your husband or wife or whatever, you may, after a while, not want to show them that full range of emotions because that's scary. You know, that, that sort of, maybe there's patterns of behavior that have gone into or that that thing of oh you do you always do this or you never do this and after a while you just feel like oh I, I'm just not going to show my true feelings to this person who's supposed to be my closest you know ally or my closest or if they friend. say here we go again here comes waterworks exactly. you know? yeah yeah not how, that anybody's you... ever said that to me before yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you know and then then you know like feeling taken for granted by by a partner you know that le leads to resentment and then maybe instead of addressing it, you just sort of shut down that that part of it. So, Valentina, how would you how would you address that kind of issue when you know you're already it's like you know each other too well, you know what each other's triggers are, and because of that, you just avoid them altogether. Well, I think this is one of the biggest conflicts we have as people in romantic relationships. That on the one hand, we want to um, feel co completely seen by the other person, right? So what we really seek is this deep level of intimacy, which comes from vulnerability, which comes from showing yourself as you are, hoping, praying, that the other partner will accept you as you are. So on the one hand, it's our biggest wish, our biggest desire. And on the other hand is the scariest thing you could possibly ask us to do because the fear of rejection that we just talked about on a society level is much deeper in a relationship because if I am really putting my heart on a plate in front of you and I tell you exactly all the things that I don't like about myself, you know, the, the things that I'm ashamed of, the, th the things that I feel guilty of, the things that I reject about myself, Will you embrace those things or will you reject me? And then the stakes are much higher because I want your love. I want you to accept me. So I don't care if the taxi driver doesn't think I'm a, a nice person, but I do care if my life partner thinks I'm, I'm a nice person because of course they could leave me and then my entire foundation for my life is going to be shaken. So um, this, this play of vulnerability and strength and protection because what you're saying is when we don't feel safe with our partner, when we feel that they might judge us, then therefore if they judge us, it means they might reject us. Our normal uh, coping mechanism is to shut down, to put a barrier, to not tell them how you feel, to not show that you're being hurt by their words, by their, by their, um, the fact that they're not present, they're not there, they don't pay attention to you. So we just go, oh, okay then. I'm, I'm not going to care. Yeah. Right. Valentina, you're also a relationship coach. You know, you work with uh, men and women. And a lot of times people will say that men and women express their emotions, their emotions differently. Um, and it's unfair to say that men have no emotions because we know that they do, definitely. You know, the men <laughs> right? listening out there. Um, <laughs> do they? Yeah, they definitely do. But I know perhaps... they do. <laughs> I don't think they do. No, they do. Um, but you know, they, they express it differently. And a lot of the times men and women don't pick up on 
these cues and these signals until it's a bit too late further down the line. I mean, what's your assessment of that? You know, are men and women very different in terms of the way they express themselves? I think obviously there are biological differences um, and there are differences between male and female energy, you know, so clearly the male energy is much more directive, um, getting things done and more practical and matter of fact kind of thing. Whereas the female energy is more nurturing, caring, listening, paying attention, giving, flowing and so on. But I think a lot of this has to do with our upbringing and you are both mothers. I know Karen has boys. And you have a boy or a girl? I don't know. I have two girls, yes. Two girls, okay, good. So I think in, like, if you think in our education, maybe you're different, right? Because you're in a modern world. But we usually tell boys, oh, you know, boys, big boys don't, I'm not saying everybody, right? But traditionally, we tell a man to man up, right? whatever that means. Yeah. Sometimes we tell a girl to man up which means, you know, just be strong. Or don't be don't too be emotional or, you know. Don't, be, you know, don't cry. So why is the word emotional a, a bad word? Because the, the, being emotional in this context, like don't be emotional, is actually a judgment. Exactly. There's something wrong with you for being emotional. But, you know, we're all emotional beings. We have emotion. Just like we're all mental. You know, mental is another word that I know <gasps> we use as a thing. Like, we have a mind. We're all mental. Let's accept that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of it comes from how the society educates us uh, in terms of uh, expressing our emotions, you know, like, just like we separate kids into, you know, boys and girls, uh, blue bedroom, pink bedroom, cars versus dolls, whatever it is, we also treat our children differently if they're boys or girls. If a little girl cries, maybe the mother would be more like, oh, okay, well, let's make you feel better and so on. But if a boy cries, sometimes people say, especially fathers, because they were brought up in that way that you're not supposed to be, you're not the girl. Why are you crying? Mm. Girls, girls cry. You, you're a boy. You have to do a different thing. Also culturally so I as well. I think in Asian cultures, a lot of times, you know, you, you don't talk about your emotions. You know, if, if I were to cry when I was little, my grandma would say, you know, don't be sad. Don't cry. You know, um, I think I randomly remember a TV show that I was watching like a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about this weird uh, thing that is happening in Japan where they have places where you can go and just cry in a group. Yeah, really? I saw that. Well, I saw something similar. Um, and, and you can hire someone, a friend who you can cry on the shoulder or something like yeah, that. Something like that, which is a wonderful thing, right? Because as you said, crying, you're a professional crier. I'm the opposite of that. That's why I like boxing. So it's, just a, it's just a different way of expressing I like that boxing energy too. <laughs> while crying. Oh, I'm gonna. <laughs> but well, yeah, I think it is part of our society that you know, if you see someone crying in public, how does that make you feel? It makes yeah, it, I know it's true. I mean, it makes me feel um, like I want to help them. Yeah, it makes me feel like wrong, I'll go up to them and I'll give them a piece of tissue usually, and yeah, I have but done for that. Some people they may feel very uncomfortable and. Yeah. want to avoid the, the situation exactly and hope, yeah it's different depending on again what our upbringing was about our attitude to, towards expressing that yeah if you grow up in a man up girl uh, type of uh, environment then you know like i my my primary program in my mind is i have to be strong i can't be weak in public so for me asking for help crying in public doing like i would never ever ever cry in public over like anything 
that is just like so impossible for me to do whereas other people are like wherever you are I don't mind other people crying. In fact, I'm in my office and on the sofa behind me is where my clients are crying all the time. And I call my room the tear sanctuary. But I don't cry very often in this tear sanctuary. Maybe I should sit on the sofa when I'm, when I'm sad. <laughs> um, but yes, it, it is for me, how do we fix this is by uh, becoming aware of where these barriers are and what do we make of it. So I know why I can't cry in public and I'm working on it. I'm putting myself out there as much as I can to express or to explore vulnerability. But it is sometimes a very powerful program that comes from our education and all these unconscious beliefs that we have. So that's why, honestly, the only answer to that is therapy. And not because I'm a therapist, but because this has been the way that I've noticed people have these breakthroughs where they realize, wow, okay, this is what's happening. This is why I am so either emotional, whatever that is, but not in a, in a bad way. I don't mean it in a bad way. Being emotional actually means for most people not being able to manage or control their emotions. Yeah. Right? Like letting that anger take over. Yesterday I had a session with a 16-year-old who came in to say, I'm feeling angry all the time and I cry all the time. So what is this about? How can I control it? And when I asked her, what are you angry about? She says, oh, I don't know. Just little things piss me off. But it, it's not really the little things. The little things are the triggers. It's because it's like a boiling pot of a, a very deep-seated situation that is not aligned for her in her life that is this deep anger, which just kind of you know, comes um, on the surface straight away. So actually acknowledging what that core issue is, if we have something that is bothering us at such a big level, like anger or fear, you know, anxiety is a very modern disease these days. When I was born in Romania, nobody had anxiety. Yeah. Or maybe because they did, but they just didn't acknowledge it. Or maybe they didn't. We, we didn't know. People, they people didn't know. talk about it. Yeah. There was no label for it. Exactly. Nobody talked about anxiety. Nobody nobody was mental because mental health was not really a thing. But now that I look back and I work with all of this, I actually realized that uh, I had anxiety as a child. I just didn't know that it was called anxiety. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, Valentina, let's let's get into a couple of these emotions individually a bit deeper. You, you talked a little bit about anger um, earlier. Now, what about Fear. I mean, fear is something that I'd say probably everyone in the world has experienced a lot of in the, in the past 12 months, mostly because of the pandemic. Can you break down where that emotion comes from and, and what does it lead us to do? Like, how do we how do we then, you know, what do we take that fear? And what do we do with it? Well, fear is what keeps us alive. So it is really uh, the, you know, Mother Nature's way of keeping us safe and keeping us, um, keeping our species going because we can be really stupid sometimes, you know, reckless as, as a species. I'm not talking individually, but we are very adventurous. We're very curious. We push our boundaries all the time. So, you know, to me, fear is that uh, safety valve is the safety mechanism that is kind of stopping us all of us from throwing ourselves off cliffs just to check what it would feel like and to see if we survive at the bottom. 
Um, of course, um, I feel that our world, this is why anxiety obviously is, is, a, is a component of fear, is such a, a disease these days is because we get so much negative information that uh, makes our lizard brain think that we're constantly in danger. So it triggers this fight or flight response that is what keeps us alive. And if I constantly, um, you know, our mind constantly projects the worst possible future in order to keep us safe, right? So whether it is in a relationship, whether it is at a job, whether it is in the street, you know, I think it's completely ridiculous that we have to wear masks in the street, for example, because it's probably the safest place. <laughs> yes. Or in the office when you're sitting there by yourself. But realistically, the big it's no danger, really. Um, like, okay, if I'm on the MTR, it can be dangerous. But, you know, it's really what we make this danger to mean. Because even if you get COVID, the chances of you dying are quite low. So it really, you need to, again, uh, engage the prefrontal cortex and uh, make sure that you reassess that situation to, to really um, allow the smarter part of your brain to, to recognize that the danger is not real. Yeah. So really asking ourselves, okay, the, like in, in statistical terms, the, the chances of someone being infected with COVID in the street are very, very low. Like, you know, beach closures. I was hearing somewhere like there hasn't been ever anywhere in the world any outbreak that started on the beach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, there are a lot of uh, ridiculous situations that uh, or conclusions that we can make from some of these rules. But ultimately, is what do we make of it? The meaning that we give a particular situation and uh, that, you know, that's why some people are not afraid at all, because they've already made the conclusion that this is not a dangerous situation. And rationally, I know that there's no reason for me to be worried about it. And for other people, they've interpreted the situation as a catastrophic, um, you know, where everything can go wrong. Like everywhere you go, uh, you have to, I don't know, I have people, I know people who spray their dogs with the anti, you know, whatever, antibacterial stuff yeah. because the dog has been outside. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like not good for the dog. Yeah. And it's not going to protect you. But anyway. So, Just wash your hands um, and don't touch your eyes, nose, and mouth. I think really what keeps us safe, but we need to re, um, realign, if you like, the potential for danger for us not to live in fear. It also that the insecurity of it comes into, you know, if you're fearful, I mean, just take, you know, fearful in, in, in a job, for example, perhaps you're fearful of being threatened by someone, um, colleagues or, or, or subordinates or, you know, and, and that will sort of sometimes make you act out as well. It's about feeling confident in yourself and it's about feeling confident in your own strengths and, and acknowledging your own weaknesses. And sometimes these are things that we're not comfortable in doing because we, we don't want to confront ourselves. and. These are the sort of yeah. hard questions that we need to ask ourselves. Yeah, because, you know, if we get fired, we think that we might die because, you know, our mind uh, imagines the worst possible outcome. Like I'm going to be a beggar. I'm not going to be able to feed my children or something. So for me, one of the, the key questions that I ask a client with anxiety is like, OK, so let's discuss what's the worst that can happen. Hmm. Like really yeah. realistically, what is the worst possible case scenario that you can imagine? Oh, well, I'm going to lose my job. So what? It's a, the proverbial kick in the butt. Maybe if you lose this job, which you hate, where you don't feel comfortable, where you don't feel appreciated, where you don't feel like you're getting uh, enough uh, validation or whatever, 
maybe you get another job. So actually you losing your job would be a benefit. It would be a gift. The silver lining. We don't see it that way. Yeah, Yeah, always look at the silver lining. The universe always takes care of you. That's what I I like to think. And I think also, you know, fear can produce panic because people fear, you know, their brains are flooded with adrenaline. They can't think straight anymore. They may do things irrationally or make bad decisions. So it, it, it is important to kind of keep that everything in perspective that, you know, yes, you may feel this fear right now, but it's not going to, it's not going to last forever and you shouldn't let it impact the decisions you make and the actions you take going forward. I think in panic, you know, like a panic attack, for example, is like a, a catastrophic misinterpretation of the signals that you are receiving, right? Because as we talked about, okay, fear might be increased heart rate. Like it starts, your heart starts to beat like really fast. And sometimes it happens out of nowhere because our body decides that we need to pump a little bit more blood in the body for some reason, right? But if you're constantly living in anxiety, you start thinking, oh my God, am I, God, am I gonna die? Is that gonna happen? So it, because it blocks the, the intervention of the prefrontal cortex, our, our basically our entire brain activity is driven by the amygdala and we constantly running in this cycle of more fear, more fear, more anticipation of the worst that can happen. And it just keeps triggering the adrenal response. And what we actually need, our body is a homeostatic machine, right? So we just need to kind of stop this cycle to kind of go, oh, hang on a minute. Am I really dying? And then allow the body to naturally bring down all the uh, all of this adrenaline production by looking around and seeing, oh, I'm not actually dying. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Maybe I need to cool down, but you don't tell someone who's in that space to chill because it's not going to work. They need to come to that conclusion. Right. So, so there does need to be a bit of a, I guess, a literally a cool off period for people to let that uh, go through their system pass and then have the presence of mind to be able to do something about it. I guess, you know, that's where practices like breathing exercises and yoga come in, um, you know, as useful. Exactly. Breathing is the easiest, easiest way we have, the easiest tool that it's here, it's available to all of us. We don't need to breathe in a certain way. We don't need to do anything special. We don't need to sit in lotus position or put our legs behind our head or anything like that. We simply need to close our eyes and really focus on our breathing for a few minutes. And actually to say, we can even say, okay, I'm feeling really scared right now. Because by saying that, then you also think, but why am I feeling really scared? So I use a technique called emotional empowerment technique, uh, which is really a very simple affirmation like words that you you use to release that emotion. And it goes something like this, if I may share, even though I'm feeling very angry right now, for example, and it feels like I want to explode or I feel like I want to smash somebody in the face, uh, I still choose to heal and integrate love and accept this part of me. Because I know that when we reject the part of us, the part of us that is angry, we kind of become a little bit less energetically speaking. And by repeating this and then taking three times this affirmation, I repeat it three times and then I take seven deep breaths, it like all the emotion goes away. And it's the easiest, easiest tool that I have learned in my entire life that allows me to handle all emotions and just be present in that moment. And it takes less than two minutes. Wow, amazing. So it's quite powerful. 
Excellent. Well, I'm so glad we ended on, on, on this note. Valentina, thank you so much uh, for your sharing and, and for your wisdom and sharing that wonderful technique at the end. I'm sure a lot of us can, can practice these uh, affirmations uh, if we are facing difficult uh, emotions and don't want to cry in public. I'll, I'll bear that in mind <laughs> next time. Um, thank you once it's again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, many thanks once again to Karen Co, our wonderful co-host, and to Valentina Tudos and Valentina. Tina is a transformational uh, relationship coach. Remind our listeners once again, how can they find out more about you and your work? Uh, Valentina, have you got a website or a Facebook page we can find you on? Yes, yes, I have both. Um, so my website is happyeverafter.asia and probably easiest to find me on Instagram rather than Facebook. Uh, my Instagram handle is uh, the real queen maker. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you, Valentina. Thanks, Noreen. Thank you. Thank Have you. a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.